Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. Here's a quick announcement. Our August heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is currently available at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. This month's theme is Wrapping Up Summer with a high note, the magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Joseph Selby. Joseph enjoys making complex and obscure, simple and clear. He is known for creating bridges of understanding between the modern, evidence-based discoveries of science and the timeless experience-based discoveries of the mystics. He's also the author of The Physics of God, A Unification of Science and Religion, and The Yugas, a factual look at Indian tradition of a cyclical history. As a dedicated Kriya uh, yoga meditator for nearly 50 years, Joseph taught yoga meditation and universal experiential spirituality throughout the U.S. and Europe. In 1975, Joseph became the founding member of Ananda, a spiritual community and movement inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa. Yogananda, author of Autobiography of a Yogi. As a teacher and minister and decades of study under Swami Kriyananda, a direct disciple of Yogananda, Joseph has a deep understanding and comprehension of Eastern philosophy, meditation, and comprehensive religion. Joseph is also a critical thinker grounded in science, studying physics, chemistry, and microbiology at the University of Colorado. Now retired, Joseph was the founder and the CEO of TriStream, an early pioneer in experience design for the web. He collaborated with Jacob Nielsen, the thought leader in experience design, to write better, best team practices for web application design and spoke at many Nielsen-Norman Group conferences in the U.S. and Europe. TriStream's client includes Cisco, Logitech, Ariba, SAP, Manpower, Technotronics, and Wells Fargo. Joseph is also one of our featured expert contributors to the August Inspiration for Better Living digital magazine. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com to read his insightful and empowering story in our Papa's Wisdom section. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning... Joseph and I will be talking about his remarkable life's journey and how we can rewire our brain to support the life we want from his new book, Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain. 
Good morning, Joseph. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? Doing great, and a good morning to you, too, Johnny. Thank you so much. It is wonderful and a pleasure to have you with me. Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain is an excellent read. It is extremely informative and engaging. The book offers a compelling synergy between neuroscience and spirituality, which I thought was very, very interesting. And when it comes to our limits, the potential, limitless potential of our personal potential. Congratulations on its release. Thank you. Well, let us start by getting to know you a little better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. And uh, we do have the whole hours. (laughs) Okay, well, I I promise not to take the whole hour to talk about my childhood. Um, Well, I I grew up as a fairly uh, standard issue uh, white American. Uh, My father was in the military, so we moved all over during my childhood. But uh, probably the biggest stamp that the my early family life left on me was a uh, lifelong appreciation of science, its its precision, its exactitude. And by the time I was ready to go to college, I was planning on having a you know, some sort of career in a science-oriented direction. I ended up studying microbiology in particular, which I found fascinating. That was the era when DNA uh, was really being more deeply understood, the structure of DNA and how DNA uh, sent the, the kind of templates into the from the nucleus into the cell to create mole- uh, to, to create protein molecules, and uh, you know now this is kind of standard knowledge, but at the time it was you know cutting edge discovery, and I was really enjoying it, but simultaneously I was exploring my spiritual side. I had experiences, particularly one very powerful, meaningful, uh, hallucinogenic experience in which I felt wonderful. I felt beyond wonderful. I felt uh, love. I felt joy. I felt peace and calmness. Uh, And I was very much centered in the moment. You know, when I was with people, I was with people Mm -hmm. in a way that was unusual in that I could tell they felt I was different. I could tell that they were responding to me being centered in myself, being centered in this newfound peace. And it was a very powerful experience. And that sort of cemented for me my determination to learn more about how to find that experience again. And that led me step by step to uh, the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. And as you mentioned in the, uh, my, my bio, it led me to practicing Kriya Yoga, which is a very uh, powerful meditation technique, and eventually led me to uh, the Ananda community. Now, you mentioned that I was 
the founder of Ananda. I wanted to be very uh, careful to clarify that, sure. that I was a, a founder of Ananda and certainly not, uh, you know, one of the, you know, top three or something. I was early sure, days sure. when Ananda was forming and uh, have been with it now for almost 50 years since mm-hmm. then. So that really, you know, um, set my life in motion, being a part of Ananda and being a part of a spiritual community, but it also allowed me to continue to uh, pursue things both mentally and uh, more concretely, like my web development business, Mm -hmm. that kept me grounded in a way in in the world of science. Very, very interesting. So when you were growing up, you mentioned something about you came from a family that is really into science. I guess that's the all the surroundings for you were, you know, like the focus is on science and so forth. Uh, were there influences in your life that sort of really challenged you? Eventually you studied physics, chemistry, and I know you said you talk about studying microbiology and so forth, but were there influences that sort of pivot you to certain areas of discipline, so to speak? Within science? Yes. Um, You know, what I found in in college is that I was attracted to uh, studying disciplines because I was attracted to the professors that Mm -hmm. were teaching those disciplines. And so there was a very charismatic teacher uh, professor for microbiology, who you know was himself a <laughs> microbiologist, and I found him fascinating, and I found his delivery uh, intriguing. So that really mm-hmm. drew me in. Now, if I hadn't had any interest in science in general, I doubt if uh, I would have found him interesting. But mm-hmm. it, that was part of it. it; was just the magnetic way in which he he taught and the magnetic way he was just as a person that drew me into microbiology in particular. Uh, And there was probably the opposite effect, (laughs) which was (laughs) that uh, mathematics, you know, also a a strong science technique. I had very unmagnetic professors uh, teaching me calculus and some of the, you know, more advanced (laughs) And that I just kind of put me off of pursuing, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, more in math. So, you know, I think a lot of everyone's lives, uh, you know, you're you're channeled, you're you're magnetically drawn into pathways mm-hmm. by people mm-hmm. as much as uh, conscious choice. That's true. Though I'm so glad you brought it up because you're right. Because as a young man, and I remember in just hearing what you're talking about in college, there's certain topics you're drawn to is because of the presenter, the way they make it fun, exciting, very engaging, versus the rest is just delivering the facts, ma'am, kind of thing. <laughs> it, yeah. it just doesn't have a flavor to it. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I completely agree. <laughs> when, what led you to the study of spirituality? I mean, you mentioned something about trying, you know, different things, but what actually really pushed you to, huh? Because when you look at it, you got science, which is kind of absolute. Uh, 
and then you have spirituality, which is the arts and the science. How's that? <laughs> well, I would say that that was the answer to that is twofold. One, I I did mention mm-hmm. uh, already, which was having a, a hallucinogenic experience that yeah. you know kind of opened me up to the to the realization that there's so much mm-hmm. more than I know about who and what I am. But the other side, again, was a person. I had a roommate mm-hmm. in college who was uh, already meditating, and mm-hmm. he was the one who introduced me to the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm-hmm. And for those of your listeners who, who don't know who he is, which uh, many people don't, he was yeah. the author of the Autobiography of a Yogi, And he came to America in the 1920s. He was the first Indian teacher to come from India and actually live in the West. He had his work centered in Los Angeles. And he was very adept at talking about spiritual teachings that are, you know, rooted in the ancient traditions of India. But he Mm -hmm. talked about it in... Western vernacular, and he Mm -hmm. drew uh, science into the way he talked about and and taught the the various practices and the concepts. So he was very accessible to the Western mind and Mm -hmm. has been by many people considered to be the, the father of yoga and meditation in the West because he really introduced it to a Western audience. Um thoroughly and completely for the first time. So anyway, I I was drawn to him Mm -hmm. by this friend uh, who was my roommate in college, and I put that together with these kind of hallucinogenic experiences that I mentioned, and that really just completely focused me in in my inner passion as opposed to my outer work to, to... figuring out how do you how do you have this experience how do you improve your life day to day so you feel right. more and more of who and what you really are then you pursue kriya yoga discipline and obviously that was the the peak of what you were experiencing so tell us about that well kriya yoga is a meditation technique it's um, a pranayama technique. Pranayama means life force control or breath control. And so Kriya Yoga is a particular uh, meditation technique that by practicing it, you become less and less, uh, you have less and less need to to breathe so you can breathe more deeply and less rapidly. And by doing that, it calms your thoughts. It uh, kind of energizes your body so you're able to sit still more easily. Uh, And those two things, sitting still and having the mind slow down, are key components to having successful experiences in meditation where you feel 
your innate peace. You feel your innate love and mm-hmm. joy and and energy. So Kriya is just a very powerful technique or tool to increase the depth of meditation. Were you going through, I guess, life at that moment in time that you were looking for something like that, basically? I guess, you know, we all, uh, our environment contribute to our decision-making process, correct? So were you going through a certain situations in life to whereby all of a sudden that's a big shift in what you were doing, I guess, because being a student, being pragmatic, go, 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 go. <laughs> and you have this moment of quietness and stillness. That's quite the opposite side of the equation. Yeah. And it felt wonderful. <laughs> I, for me, the timing was, the timing was my college years. And I think a lot of people who go to college or even if they're not in college, mm-hmm. um, but just coming out of high school, it's a time when I think we naturally wonder, what am I going to do with my life? You know, mm-hmm. what, what is worth pursuing or what do I find interesting? And I was very much in that uh, sort of period of, of questioning, not in a negative way, but just yeah. looking at everything. You know, what do I mm-hmm. want to do? for the rest of my life and that those experiences all combined into thinking I need to find a way to live a spiritual life but it also has to be you know grounded in practicality I wasn't drawn at all to uh, you know the old the old proverbial statement of of going off and living in a cave in the (laughs) Himalayas you know that didn't draw me at all I wanted yeah. to be um, more inspired by the work that I chose to do by meditation rather than feeling like work was, you know, uh, the antithesis of meditation. Mm-hmm. The two combine really well. And I mm-hmm. found that in, um, again, my, my sort of next steps led me to the discovery of Ananda. And Ananda was already... Uh, happening when I arrived here in mm-hmm. 1975, uh, but it was still very small. It was, um, you know, a less than a hundred adults and children combined. We had schools mm-hmm. already at that point, and I just I loved it because Ananda provided me the the grounding in everyday living that. Mm-hmm included meditating regularly, um, included the techniques of Kriya Yoga. And I got, I got to be constantly reminded of mm-hmm. why I wanted to be here. You know, it was reinforcing, yeah, not in yeah. a way of, of brainwashing, which I think is really a misunderstood notion uh, when mm-hmm. you talk about spiritual communities. Right. It's more that you're choosing something and that uh, choice gets reinforced your own choice right. gets reinforced just by the people who are around you so it's been a wonderful 50 years of mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. within that kind of uh, help 
really solid help. Mm-hmm. So that all, you know, all these different elements combined to making it really uh, clear what my best choice was. Very, very interesting. The situation occurs to whereby you are on this journey, of course, on a personal journey as well as an academic journey. So when did the synergy of spirituality and science occur for you personally to whereby this is it? I mean, going and living is one thing, right? Because we are just experiencing stuff. But when did it shift for you that synergy truly occurs within yourself? Well, many people point to a seminal book mm-hmm. that uh, was written by Fritjof Capra called The Tao mm-hmm. of Physics as one of the very first books in a, in a genre in which my books, The Physics of God and Breakthrough the mm-hmm. Limits of the Brain, also belong as being like the, the starting point for this kind of synergy between science and spirituality. And I think it actually began more with Yogananda, because Yogananda Mm -hmm. in his book, The Autobiography of a Yogi, which was written in 1946, Mm -hmm. predated uh, Fritjof Kapra's book by like 25 years. And in The Autobiography of a Yogi, Yogananda talks about the law of miracles and and he uses the theory of relativity as mm-hmm. a way of understanding how miracles can take place. So he was already making this synergy uh, clear to people mm-hmm. as early as 1946. So when I dove into his teachings and you know my own personal process of discovering yeah. the teachings, I was so excited and so... Um, I'm not quite relieved, but I, I just relaxed into the fact that I could embrace wholeheartedly spiritual teachings that, you know, are more esoteric, mm-hmm. but I didn't mm-hmm. have to give up. I didn't have to give up science. Right. <laughs> I didn't have to give up a, a scientific viewpoint. I didn't have to give up reason. Uh, I didn't have to give up the kind of nuts and bolts of um, mm-hmm. scientific discovery in order to fully embrace my my spiritual path. And so I quickly saw how powerful that synergy was, not only for myself, but that uh, I would say I, it, was, it was something trying to happen, you know, that religion had... Right. Uh, kind of reached a point where people were questioning it more and more. They were questioning the commandments or the, the things you had to believe that people found difficult to believe. They found things mm-hmm. that seemed to go in opposition to what they knew about science. And I would hear this story over and over again from people that when they were young and they were uh, in families that were um, you know solid church going upstanding Christians that they loved it when they were children Mm -hmm. but once they got to the point in their 
you know, late teens and early 20s as an adult thinker, they couldn't embrace it because there were too many discrepancies between what the church seemed to be saying and what science mm-hmm. seemed to be saying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and then, so they left, you know. They left yeah. the church both in physically and in spirit. And I think that the work that is happening now with finding the deeper connections between science and spirituality is so important to so many people because it allows them to embrace spirit again without feeling like science has ruled it out. Right, right. Or vice versa in this case, you know, say the odds of religion ruling out the science of the equation because we have to take precedent over the other. And that's not true because that should be something that it's working together. And, well, for example, society, you know, it's, the more inclusive we are, the better off we are <laughs> in so many ways. So uh, I totally mm-hmm. agree with that. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcasts are available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, MixCloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, and Hop Hopper. I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our August edition of the Heart-Centered and Passion-Driven Inspiration for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Joseph Shelby. Joseph is known for creating bridges of understanding between the modern evidence-based discoveries of science and the timeless experience-based discoveries of the mystics. He is the author of the breakthrough of Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain, How Neuroscience Supports Higher Experience and the Physics of God, a Unification of Science and Religion. Joseph is also one of our featured experts in the August Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine. Please go to Inspirations for Better Living dot com to read his insightful and empowering stories in our Papa's Wisdom section. Our kitchen table conversation this morning is about his remarkable life's journey and how we can rewrite our brain to support the life we want from his new book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain. Joseph, why did you decide to write Break Through the Limits of the Brain? Well, I was always fascinated by neuroscience and Mm -hmm. the intricacies of the brain and there was a huge leap forward in neuroscience when they began to be able to image the brain in such a way that they could actually track brain activity with things like uh, MRI, FMRI, Mm -hmm. PET scans and SPECT scans Uh, it gave them insights into the function of the brain that they'd never had before. And so a lot of theories about how the brain functioned uh, actually got thrown out when they could see it in, you know, real time, if you will, uh, rather than by indirect measurements that, that, that had existed before these new imaging systems. And so you got to see these 
brain pictures, right, that, that are mm-hmm. they're colorized and they show dark areas that indicate very little or no activity in the brain. And then you have, uh, you know, brighter and brighter colors representing areas where the brain is uh, more active. And the, the phrase, the brain lights up, became part of the vernacular because these images would show that if somebody had an emotion, a certain part of their brain would, you know, fire and, and mm-hmm. it would light up on the, on the imaging technique. So this closer scrutiny of the brain uh, and more direct scrutiny of the brain led to a lot of experimentation about what meditation does. You know, what happens in the brain when somebody meditates? And what they began to see is that the prefrontal cortex of the brain becomes much more engaged, much more lit up. And the areas of the brain that have to do with uh, receiving sensory input or uh, motor control, moving the muscles uh, of the body, that becomes less active. So the meditating brain, so to speak, is more or less dark in the uh, everything except the forebrain. And then in the forebrain, everything is lit up. So what does that mean? And what almost every meditation technique, or I shouldn't say every technique because there are many, Mm -hmm. but many meditation techniques have you concentrate at the point between the eyebrows, concentrate in in the center of the forehead, which exactly matches what naturally happens according to the the scans when somebody is meditating, is that your, your energy begins to concentrate there. So neuroscience was supporting many of the, at that point, unsubstantiated claims of you know the benefits of meditation so not only did you see the the activity in the brain following the pattern that meditation uh teaching said it did they also began to discover that meditation changed the brain that the brain actually rewires mm-hmm. the more you meditate and it rewires by supporting all kinds of positive things that, you know, uh, it supports, the, the rewiring supports a less stressful life. It supports a healthier life. Uh, it supports a more concentrated, uh, you know, relaxed concentration rather than tense concentration. And some of the centers that were studying it, like in Madison, uh, Wisconsin, in Harvard, um, really clearly began to say that this meditation is probably the single most important thing you can do to have a healthy, positive life. Mm-hmm. So these, these things were extraordinary. You know, these discoveries, discoveries and, and proof were extraordinary. So what I set out to do with the book, Break Through the Limits of the Brain, is is to try to find the research research that supports 
the idea that we are connected to something much greater than we know, that we are mm-hmm. so much more than we know. And in a way, to explain for myself how I could have had those hallucinogenic experiences. I mean, what was I experiencing? What is that mm-hmm. reality? And why do I not experience it day in and day out? If I am that, why don't I experience it? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what I discovered in, in my research was that our brain becomes wired uh, to support a more limited reality than what we can potentially experience. And that Mm -hmm. more limited reality, once wired, becomes self-supporting. I use the uh, the analogy that we we have a fireworks show going on in our brain uh, and mind for, you know, dawn to bed, that from Mm -hmm. when we get up to when we go to bed, the brain is wired to fire in response to all the parts of our life that are, are more or less routine, and it occupies us. That's what we experience. We don't experience this greater potential. And so we need, it's not just that meditation is a way to experience more. We really need it to rewire our brain so that we can experience more because we've we we need to break through the limits that we created unknowingly by wiring our brain for less than what we are by wiring our brain to experience less than what we are and i found such powerful and uh persuasive support Mm -hmm. for how that rewiring works and how it can be successful and of course, my my spiritual understanding supports that there is indeed so much more to know, so much more to experience of who we are. Right, right, right. That's powerful, very powerful. In reading your book, there's no doubt it's what it does for someone like me as a layman. It reminded me of the time when I was teaching ballroom dancing. And by the way, I do teach ballroom dancing. And uh-huh. I have different students, right, that come in and say, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. And I was able to relate to them in reprogramming, like you talk about rewiring the brain to understand the certain emotions that some of them are really things that they've already done before, but is repackaging it, right? And But the right. most interesting one was uh, I had a student that actually was a colonel in the military uh, nurse and she had over a period of time developed brain cancer and they they didn't even realize it uh, until finally you know they found out about it and they, uh, they took a big chunk of it out to be honest with you and uh, you're more expert of, of an expert in this than I am but it's like maybe on the right uh, side of the brain uh, controls or what you call it uh, is the it's the function for the left side and the left side is for the right side anyway make long story short uh, she whenever she uh, when it comes to her left foot you know you're talking about we say oh just raise it up like four inches right 
And in her mind, she's raising it four inches, but the food is barely off the floor, whereas the other side right. is 100% correct. And so I would tell her, I would tell uh, Kay, I said, Kay, what you need to do is just rewire it to whereby, yes, it's four inches. You know what? Let's double it. <laughs> and over uh-huh. a period of time, uh, that took care of it because she would, at work, she would actually stumble when she had to climb stairs, right? Because right. one foot will be perfect as you go to that flight of stairs, and then the other one thinking that I'm at the right height, and I'm not. And so uh, you talk about new neural pathway, and that's what it's all about. So from a layman perspective, when I was reading your book, that's what I got out of it in terms of respectfully, I mean, from a simplistic standpoint of view, like, wow, this is great. It validates the process that we do. We can rewire the brain to do what we want. And of course, from your perspective, it's even deeper than that, which I love. And so please share with us your concept of the superconscious potential of the brain. Well, our consciousness is what we experience, you know, what what we call the conscious mind is what we experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. when we haven't broken through the limits of the brain. Mm -hmm. But our consciousness is not um, generated by the brain, which is a, you know, a strong conviction of uh, most scientists these days that the physical brain must be creating consciousness because they Mm -hmm. can't imagine, they can't accept that consciousness could exist outside the brain. Mm -hmm. But what almost all spiritual teachings have to say is that, uh, and and, and by those I mean uh, experiential spiritual teachings, those that are kind of based in um, practices like meditation, what they all have to say is that consciousness exists beyond the brain. It exists beyond the physical body. And so sometimes they refer to it as super conscious. And I like that word because what it suggests is that there's it's a natural growth from where we are to experience more and more and more super consciousness that we're already experiencing some of it we are conscious at all because we're intrinsically connected to super consciousness so in meditation we might not to begin with break through the limits of the brain very far but yet even that little bit of breaking through the limits of the brain in meditation gives us a wonderful peaceful calming glimpse of super consciousness and the potential for it is enormous i mean essentially the mystics mm-hmm. the saints the sages what they're able to do is to simultaneously uh, function within the world just like anybody else and yet simultaneously be aware of this vast, greater superconsciousness. Fascinating. Is there a correlation between intelligence and consciousness? Yes, I would say not just a 
correlation, but that intelligence and consciousness are one and the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not necessarily the same thing, but consciousness is intelligent, and intelligence is dependent on consciousness. Mm-hmm. So it is a natural uh, expression of consciousness mm-hmm. that it is intelligent. So we get our intelligence from that. We don't get it from the brain. We don't get it from neurons firing in sequence or firing <laughs> like a computer, which is the you know current sort of scientific model of, of yeah. the brain and what it does for us. Well, you mentioned stillness. How does stillness contribute to our journey in attaining the superconsciousness awareness of oneself? It's really key because mm-hmm. if we don't become still, then the brain continues to receive signals from all parts of the body and from the senses. And those signals keep the fireworks show going uh, in, our, in our mind and that uh, it's so in that fireworks show is so entrancing to us that we pay attention. And as long as we're paying attention to the fireworks show, we won't be able to experience the deeper superconscious experiences that are possible to us. So when we sit still, and again, neuroscience supports this, when we sit still, the rest of the brain that is devoted to receiving sensory input and controlling bodily movements, it all begins to become less and less active And mm-hmm. in terms of how you see scans of the brain is it becomes um, darker in the, in the way that they program these scans to, to show us what's happening in the brain. And then naturally, the forebrain begins to light up. And it's the forebrain where we can make this deepest connection to superconsciousness. It's like the it's like the biggest gateway for us to get beyond the brain. It is the breakthrough point for us is to get our uh, awareness more centered in the forebrain and not in the physical body. And the best way to do that is to learn to, you know, sit still and become still. And you also need to. Um, calm the mind. The two mm-hmm. go together. The, the more still we are, the less movements we're making, the less it stirs up the fireworks show. And the less it stirs up the fireworks show, the fewer just random association type thought trains happen in our mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Beginning meditators everywhere and even uh, habitual meditators everywhere will tell you that the mind's ability to just take you off into thinking about other subjects is uh, a really powerful thing. And that being able to be still helps you calm that part of the mind down too, because it tends to go off on those trains of thoughts when it is stimulated by uh, sensory input and physical movement so the two go together mm-hmm. you can and also it's basically concentration 
right? Isn't it concentration? It's basically much? concentration. Yeah. yeah, it is. And but most of us associate concentration with something we do momentarily, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. oh, you know, stop talking. I need to think here, and then you <laughs> and then you can concentrate enough to make a decision or to you know assemble. Right. A half a dozen thoughts in your brain and then and then you're done. But uh concentration can become much deeper than that and it is a wonderful experience because it's the birth of uh creativity, it's the mm-hmm. birth of tuning into your own feelings, it's the mm-hmm. birth of deeper awareness that you can apply not only to having a deep meditation, but also to your day-to-day life. And the more you can be centered in yourself and focused in your mind, the more creative you can be in everything that you need to do. And this is where I think a regular meditation becomes transformative for people. So it's not an escape necessarily, although it may feel like that or may sound like that, it changes you. It mm-hmm. rewires your brain to becoming a different person who operates in a in a better way. And part of that better way is becoming creative about everything that you do. The more you concentrate, the more really good ideas will come to you rather than the kind of scattershot associative thoughts that tend to come to us when we're really busy and really harassed by our own life. Uh, you know, we don't tend to really have wonderful deep thoughts, mm-hmm. but when we are calm and concentrated, good solutions come to us about what we should do. Everything from, You know, what's going to be the best way to buy car insurance to, (laughs) you know, working on uh, a piece of art or doing work Mm -hmm. that you do day in and day out. You can apply a great deal of creativity to every facet of your life, and it feels great. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It becomes, you become more concentrated all the time. It's not just that you know how to concentrate deeply when you need to it's that you are more focused you are more concentrated throughout your day and i sense also here that you are for lack of a better term you're in control when to switch on the switch and when to turn it off i guess would be the best way versus uh, you know, it's it's not the tail wagging the dog. The dog is actually wagging the tail here. You're in control from a standpoint of this moments of time when you are wanting to do specific things because your book talked about the beauty of our energy body uh, contributing to our awareness. And these are the things that I think people are not aware of, that that we are actually in control and that moment of stillness allows us to be that person that flip on and off the switch. Well, I think I agree with everything you just said, and, and I think one way to understand that is to realize mm-hmm. that as you break through the limits of the brain, you begin to redefine mm-hmm. what you are. And mm-hmm. so right now the tail 
for most of us, is wagging the dog. <laughs> and the tail, the tail is the physical body, and the tail right. is the imperatives of day-to-day life that are just running you on automatic pilot. Mm-hmm. That the fireworks mm-hmm. show is going, and you're going with the wire fireworks show wherever it takes you. And that is the tail. That's not us. We are the subtle reality mm-hmm. that we are less aware of. And so we can center ourselves more in the subtle reality and less in the fireworks show, automatic pilot part of life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so then we're able to, as you were putting it, you know, to switch it on and off. I think right. it's more important that we learn to switch it on, right? Right. And stay mm-hmm. and stay in what is switched on as much as we can. Because we do have, as you mentioned, we do have this subtle uh, energy body that is part and parcel of our every experience. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're, we're less aware of it as a subtle reality and, and more just think, oh, well, that's, that's how the physical body works. When in fact, there are two bodies that we're always inhabiting. And one is this higher, subtle, energetic, superconscious body. And the other is just the purely physical body that, you know, is the the source of sensory information and mm-hmm. the body that we can ask to walk around, to run, to do this and that. But there are really two things going on there. And what near-death experiencers tell us, who abruptly, suddenly lose connection to their physical body is that they have immediately awareness of another body that they have awareness of their subtle body or astral body as it's called in Eastern's teachings and that for as long as their near-death experience lasts they will often feel themselves to be you know like a perfect counterpart of their physical body and that they have, they still have the emotions, they still have the memories, they still have the uh, mental abilities and trains of thought that they had moments ago when they were still in their physical body, they still have them. So that's why they come back so convinced of the immortality of the soul, because they experience directly and unquestionably for themselves that they live on when you die. Mm-hmm. The one thing mm-hmm. that near-death experiencers tell nearly everyone is they no longer have any fear of death. Mm-hmm. They no longer see death as an ending. It's just a transition to where they're living completely aware of that subtle body instead of just partially aware of that subtle body as we typically are when we're, you know, also living in in this dance with our physical body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So true. What's interesting is that all of us experience this body energy, uh, what I coined personally is the bubble of quiet confidence in the sense that, just think about it, when we are nervous and we about to do something and we, it could be 
even an outfit that we put on that gives us that confidence. It's it's the thought that all of a sudden that we're fired up and you can feel the certain energy within you and around you that just changes. And like what you were saying, Joseph, it would be put, what would wouldn't it be great to have that feeling twenty four seven? Yeah. Yeah. And the more we're aware of that yeah. energy that you were talking mm-hmm. about, the more life is improved. Mm-hmm. It it mm-hmm. it may it helps us be the person that we would like to be. It mm-hmm. it, it it guides us, it makes us um how to put it? I don't want to make it sound like it, it controls you, because it is you. It puts right. you in control mm-hmm. in a way that you're not most of the time. You just don't realize you're not in control most of the time. And when you are, as you say, you're putting on that that experience, and you're raising your energy, and you're you're becoming this being that can be mm-hmm. more successful. The feeling is wonderful, and mm-hmm. the feeling is natural, and it's also intuitive. So you, when you get more in touch with this deeper part of your being, mm-hmm. you tend to behave well without thinking. It's not mechanical at all. It's not as if you have to decide, okay, I want to be better in this respect. You just become better in that respect without having necessarily even been aware that you weren't as good in that respect uh, <laughs> as you wanted to be. You know, right. there's a thing that um, psychiatrists and psychologists talk about. Um, Maslow was one of the first to really give it prominence, which is the notion of flow. And flow comes from this other aspect of ourselves. And when we tap into that flow, Everything becomes magical. If you're an athlete, you you like do things you've never but done before. As a ballroom dancer, you mm-hmm. would just find every move flowed from the previous move. You're not thinking, you know, okay, now I turn, now I move my body this way, <laughs> now I help my my partner. There's nothing mentally, right. rationally, mechanical about it. It just happens, and that experience is wonderful people love flow experiences mm-hmm. because they are they wake you up they make you feel like you're more and better that's right that's right and speaking about bomb dancing that's where uh, i'm a rhythmic dancer so i agree with you in terms of when you hear that music the up tone the down tone it just naturally flows that's not anything that you know, that's a big difference when I tell people there's a big difference between being arrogant and confident. Being arrogant is where people can still detect how nervous you are because you're actually having a paranoia attack. <laughs> you, to, you know what I'm talking about? And, and showing that false hood, so to speak. But versus being confident, you can be just quiet and there's a sense of aura about you. And you do talk about that a little bit in your book in terms of just, just that's it, you know, and people can sense that and whether they're going to stay away from you or you would just outright get noticed for that. 
Yeah. I think most people are drawn to other people who live more in their higher self, that live more mm-hmm. in their mm-hmm. subtle body, that live more in their heart. Um, because what comes from those people, whether it's just a subtle emanation of who this mm-hmm. person is or whether it's in the interaction, being around people who are more centered in themselves, in their higher selves, is is wonderful. You know, you just mm-hmm. like those people naturally. Even right. if it's a perfect stranger you meet, uh, you know, on the street, you sense something from them that's different and you come away feeling, oh, that was a really nice interchange. <laughs> so if you're on so the true. inside of that, it's even mm-hmm. more wonderful. Right, right. So true. And the reason why I brought that up, because it's like these are the things that a lot of us uh, are experiencing, but we may not know what it is. And so that brings me up to whereby what would you like for the readers to gain from reading your your book, Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain? Well, I start with the very first chapter is titled, We Are So Much More Than We Know. And I really hope that people can take away from anything I say Mm -hmm. that they have amazing potential that can 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 go and go and go and go it's like there is endless possibility (laughs) yes in their in their potential and that i hope that they then get uh excited enough or or convinced enough to want to pursue it with more and Mm -hmm. i give a lot of practices in the book for how to tap into this much greater self, into this super consciousness that is themselves, uh, meditation, uh, introspection, uh, affirmations, learning to be creative, learning to get into flow. All of these are things that you can be more directed about if you so choose. So true. And what's the beauty of it is, again, you're not necessarily studying at zero because as you read the book, it's wonderfully written. You're going to be able to correlate. Oh, wow. I didn't realize this is what I experienced. It's actually this. And so you're a lot closer than you think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I'm glad to hear you you say it and it uh, because yeah. it is something that I, uh, I I try to express through the book, and it's mm-hmm. I'm not always sure it is coming <laughs> through. But yes, we are already that, and we yeah. get glimpses of what we are uh, from time to time. But mm-hmm. we can be more and more of that as well. Right, and the, the the goal now is this is the interesting part is to be more conscious as we experience this before things that we took for granted. So now, oh wow, interesting. <laughs> It, it, yes. and, and that's all you need to do to sort of prolong that super consciousness awareness. Well, you do need to rewire the brain because otherwise oh, no, your, yes, current, your current wiring tends to <laughs> go on automatic, right? So right, there is right, the right. necessity to rewire. But I think everyone has enough innate experience of what right. more they can be 
mm-hmm. that that can draw them like, uh, you know, a, a guide, an inner guide to where to go inwardly uh, to be more. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. I agree with the rewiring. Uh, all I'm saying is that, you know, like if people are trying to, you know how we all are. I mean, we're trying to find a baseline, I guess. That would be the best way to put it. <laughs> and then you realize that, oh, wow, okay. So now you have a system, a manual here that helps me to completely strengthen and reinforce and, and so forth. And that's what the book is all about from that perspective. Yeah. Where can someone go to get more information about you Buy your books and keep up with your latest happenings. Um, to find out more about me and uh, other books I've written, uh, other articles I've written, you can just go to josephselby.com. Uh, Selby is spelled S-E-L-B-I-E rather than S-E-L-B-Y, which is more common spelling. So it's S E L. B-I-E, josephselby.com. Uh, books you can find on any e-tailer. Amazon is um, the common one people go to. The actual launch for the Breakthrough the Limits of the Brain book is tomorrow. So it's released officially on the 1st of September tomorrow. If you go there today, you will be able to pre-order it but it is out very soon. Fantastic. What's next for you? Well, I'm working on another book that has to do with uh, health more specifically and what makes us health and the, the power and effect of emotions and convictions on our health. And a lot of people know that emotions and convictions do have an effect, but they don't really understand the mechanism. So I'm trying to do that combination of the foundation of science with the experiential aspects and put those together so we know how our emotions affect our health and how we can use our emotions and our convictions to create better health. Wonderful, wonderful. As we close the hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? A recipe for living. Take time out of your day to just be centered in your calm energy self. Do it religiously, as they say. Make that a real thing that you do. Take time to meditate, take time to be centered in the best person you are, and then let it flow into the rest of your life naturally. If you experience it in the morning, it'll flow in all throughout your day. Beautiful. Joseph, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning, September 7 at 12 noon Central Time U.S. My guests will be Sheila and Marcus Gillette. Over the last 25 years, Sheila and Marcus have empowered and educated thousands of people worldwide through intimate conversation with Theo. Sheila has been a direct voice medium for Theo, a collective of 12 archangels, 
since her near-death experience in 1969. Sheila Marcus and I will be having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and their latest book, The Art of Relationship, Angelic Insights for Creating Soulful Human Connections. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Joseph, it has been a true pleasure, sir. Thank you again and have a very nice day. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Bye-bye.